As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Today, Sanchez signs one final stateside roundup and your questions answered. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Here we are then, listener, back for the start of another week, building up to the new season. We're back to two shows a week from this week, so we'll do a big preview of the Liverpool game in our Thursday pod. But there's plenty for us to talk about today. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by the Athletics Chelsea expert, Simon Johnson. Simon, have you summered well? I've summered as well as Romelu Lukaku. (laughs) All right. I mean, I don't know whether that's good or bad, but you've had a lot of time to rest and think about your next move. Um, (laughs) Let's let's put it that way. Will somebody pick Simon up for the new season? TBC, but the Athletic aren't actively trying to get rid of him and hoping that he doesn't show up at the office slash training ground. Uh, I'll dig myself out of this hole now and give a very warm welcome to Luke Bosher, part of the Athletic's news team and a fully fledged Chelsea supporter. Luke, we're delighted to have you with us. Um, Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here, Matt. Long time listener, first time guest, I guess. And you are a Chelsea fan, right? I've got that correct. Yes, very much so. You know, not been a great year, but uh, I think I'm, I'm lucky enough to have uh, enjoyed some good times throughout my Chelsea following career. Yeah, and the good times are coming back, I promise you, listener. Um, we are recording later than we had scheduled on this Monday, still just about morning, because we wanted to see how England got on. Simon, they got through... But it wasn't all good news from an England or Chelsea perspective. No, I'm afraid uh, Lauren James, the star of England's World Cup, has now become, I hate to say it, sort of a bit of the villain. Although, fortunately, England got through on penalties. But, um, yeah, a moment of madness, sort of a bit of a David Beckham deja vu moment for anyone that remembers the 1998 uh, Men's World Cup in France when Beckham kicked out petulantly and got sent off. And on this occasion, Lauren James did a petulant stamp, letting her frustration show. It went to VAR. Once it went to VAR, it was always going to be a red card. And um, after all the praise and rightful praise that that she's had over the last week or so, she's inevitably going to get some criticism. But 
tempered by the fact that unlike England in men's team in 98, the women went through on penalties. So that is going to, that that's huge for her. It's going to take a bit of the deflecting. It's not going to be quite as intense. The criticism, of course, she'll be suspended for the, for the court final, but um, yeah, lesson, lesson learned um, hopefully. And uh, she'll bounce back, but um, a very disappointing occasion for her. Yeah, we don't know at the time of recording what kind of ban she's going to get. But if it is three games and violent conduct, then that is her World Cup over. I guess the good thing, Luke, is that in terms of pastoral care, we know she's going to be well treated when she gets back to Cobham. Not many better people to put an arm around her, literally and metaphorically, than Emma Hayes. Yeah, most definitely. I think Emma Hayes has been, you know, one of... Lauren's biggest fans throughout this tournament during her punditry work and I would 100% expect that to continue on her return to Cobham and I think you know in a wider point about England when players do make mistakes and we saw in the men's Euros uh, a couple of years ago with the, the three players missing penalties they received a lot of support from the public I think there are obviously negative headlines but I think it's, it's quite nice to see I think the British public is is changing how it kind of deals with professional footballers who make mistakes in high profile situations and there's a lot more empathy and a lot more care towards them and I think we'll see very much the same with Lauren James. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, elsewhere, congratulations to Zajira Musevic, who starred for Sweden as they knocked out the USA on Sunday, and Anik Nouwen, who's through to the quarterfinals with the Netherlands. All right, we'll get back to club business next and talk transfers. Uh, Chelsea have signed Robert Sanchez from Brighton on a seven-year deal. Uh, He started 23 league games for Brighton last season, the most recent of which was at Stamford Bridge in the Seagulls 2-1 win in April. Simon, can you explain this one to me, please? (laughs) You don't sound impressed. It's not that I'm not impressed. I think it's more surprised would be the correct emotion to attach to my feelings to this. Well, he's been on their list for a while. I wouldn't say at the top of their list, but he's been on their list. I don't think you can underestimate the influence of Ben Roberts. He's obviously on the the coaching department, ex-Brighton, knows Robert Sanchez very well and rates him very highly. The issue here is that Chelsea were never going to be able to buy a new number one, like an out-and-out number one. Um, Kepa Ariza Belago is still at the club. From what I'm led to believe, he's still rated by Mauricio Pochettino. So it was a case of who they brought in would be a sort of a number two stroke, a bit of competition for Kepa, but not a replacement for Kepa. So in this regard, he ticks that box. It's going to be interesting to see the the amount of genuine competition he can provide um, because, of course, Kepa's played pre-season and Sanchez has only just arrived. And with Liverpool just around the corner, it would be a big call to bring Sanchez straight in. But I, I, I think it will be a a bit of a fight over time, hence the seven-year contract. But is he the Thibaut Courtois replacement? Which, you know, whether you, I almost feel like you sort of should do like a warning before you mention Courtois' name nowadays, uh, given his uh, popular status at Stamford Bridge. But Chelsea have not replaced Courtois, or they've not got a keeper in the Petacek category. And you, you do sort of think that that remains the case. 
Sanchez is a good, solid Premier League goalkeeper, but is he that that Edison, that Allison, that keeper that takes you to that next level? I'm not so sure. What do you think, Luke? Is he coming in as as backup? I mean, it's, there's not going to be many games for a number two goalkeeper to play this season, is there? Potentially, unless Chelsea have a good run in the cups. No, but um, as Simon kind of alluded to, he's coming in as like a number one and a half, really. And he, at 25 years old, he's a Spain international. He will, you know, like most professional footballers, back himself to take the number one spot from Kepa should, you know, Pochettino decide at any point Kepa is not up to scratch. And I think, you know, the seven-year deal, the fact that because he came to Brighton at such a young age, he is, you know, homegrown with regards to Premier League and UEFA squad registration. He will retain a lot of that value, even if he doesn't get many games over the coming years. So, you know, even if Chelsea do look to move him on in two or three years and he's only played 10 to 20 games, you'd like to think that they'd be able to recoup a good amount of that 20, 25 million fee. So I think it makes sense. I quite like it. Okay, we're going to do Twitter questions later. um, But here's one I'll put to you now, Simon. It comes from Andrew who asks, have you been impressed or frustrated by how brazenly choreographed the slow Caicedo chase has been? Paying an inflated Sanchez fee to get Brighton their premium, biting our tongues during the briefings and letting them get a new midfielder in first seems like the terms. Um, What do you think? Are Sanchez and Caicedo uh, linked in terms of the transfers? Um. Look, I think it's convenient. I wouldn't say I've been impressed. I've been bored, I'd say, with <laughs> the word I'd use, that whole Moises Casado saga. I mean, I still think Chelsea will go back in for him uh, with another bid. Casado got a mysterious injury uh, for Brighton's latest pre-season friendly. Um, how convenient. So, look, he is the missing piece of Chelsea's transfer window, you have to say, it does feel like there's been this rather tedious dance between the two clubs, a little bit of ego involved. Brighton sort of saying, oh, we want this. Chelsea sort of um, trying to get get him at the deal that they want, understandably so. But I, I just think that um, it almost would have been worth sort of biting the bullet a few weeks ago and saying, right, this is the valuation, we'll pay it. Especially as Chelsea do seem to have money to burn on players from all over the world, a lot of unproven players all over the world, you just sort of think, well, you only have to offer sort of 10, 20 million pound more and the player that you really want for the first team is in the building. You could argue they'll be overpaying for sure, but if that's the player you want, then it's better to get sort of stop the messing about and get them in the building so they're ready for to start against Liverpool than playing catch-up when the season's already underway. Tyler Adams as a backup option if the Caicedo thing doesn't happen. That's something that's been reported on The Athletic. Um, Luke, what do you think? Would he be a a suitable replacement or is he just going to add a bit of depth to the squad? I think as a backup option, you know, with Caicedo in that that top bracket, I think it makes a lot of sense for, you know, we've reported via Phil Hay, our Leeds correspondent, that he's got a 20 million clause in his contract, which compared to some of the other fees that, Chelsea have been paying for players in the last sort of year is basically nothing. And he's, you know, in his mid-20s, has captained the US on occasion. You know, Leeds kind of fell off a lot when he went out of their team last year when he had that hamstring injury, which he still hasn't recovered from. And I do, 
you know, I've watched him a little bit in the Premier League last year. I do, I quite like him. He's he's a bit of a simple player in that he, he's very good at winning the ball back, you know, in the defensive middle third and then just giving it to someone who is, you know, technically a little bit better than him. And that is, I think, you know, very much of the profile of what Chelsea need that will allow someone like Enzo Fernandez to play a little bit higher up the pitch where I think, you know, I think that's where he's better. And I think Adam's, his character is something that's impressed me. Obviously, he has captained his national team. Leeds fans that I know have spoken about him very highly throughout, despite the fact that, you know, they had a very tumultuous season. And, you know, there's a lot of transfer speculation about him. He was still at Ellen Road on Sunday for Leeds' first championship game of the season, despite the fact that he's been linked with a move away, hasn't trained yet because of this injury. But he was there, he was on the pitch. I think he was talking to Archie Gray, their young midfielder. So he's the sort of, you know, Chelsea are you know, lacking bodies in midfield, but also lacking experience up and down the pitch. And I think he could provide that. It also, you know, there's the added factor. He's USA international, got one out the door in Christian Pulisic. So there was an American, there was an empty space in the American portion of the locker room there. So um, that'll tick that box that, that Chelsea still have an American presence at Chelsea Football Club. All right. Well, there's sure to be some outgoings this week as well by the look of it. We'll run through those on Thursday. Chelsea back in England, though, having completed their stateside sojourn. We'll round that up next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, Chelsea finished their stateside trip with a visit to the beach, a.k.a. Soldier Field in Chicago. They drew 1-1 with Borussia Dortmund. Liam Toomey was there for the Athletic. He sent us this voice note reflecting on pre-season. And two and a half weeks after it began... Chelsea's pre-season is over. I'm currently watching a few of the Chelsea players lingering on a Soldier Field stadium pitch that really wasn't fit to host this game. Um, The surface was terrible. There was an Ed Sheeran concert here last weekend where they put a stage in the centre circle, fans everywhere. There's sand all over the surface and it felt inevitable that it was going to be part of the story. We don't know if Christopher and Kunku's injury was a direct result of the playing surface, but he came off after 22 minutes, not moving well, got his left knee wrapped in ice, sat down on the bench for the rest of the first half, and then didn't walk back out for the second. We're going to wait to find out how serious that is, but it puts a whole different complexion on what I think broadly has been quite a positive pre-season for Chelsea. The atmosphere within the squad seems to have been really good. Mauricio Pochettino has been striking a very upbeat tone for the most part in press conferences. And a lot of the performances have been good. 
they look like they're developing an identity as a team with this 4-2-3-1, slightly asymmetrical depending on whether they want Ben Chilwell or Rhys James to to race forward. There have been some real breakout performers. I think Nicholas Jackson has been excellent in all the minutes that he's had. Ian Matson has really changed a lot of views of him, I think. Um, coming in, Bashir Humphreys has played a lot of minutes, even if he, he probably doesn't have a role to play when the Premier League starts. But the downer for Chelsea is that a lot of their attacking identity in the US has been based around where they put Nkunku. He's played up front, he's played as a number 10, he's played off the left wing, um, and in the latter position is where he's, he's looked particularly good in the last couple of appearances. I think maybe actually in the action that he got injured against Dortmund, where he was brought down by Max Hummels in the, in the penalty area, summed up what Chelsea are doing best in attack. It was a lovely little bit of interplay with Jackson, Sent Nkunku racing into the box. And he's been getting into those positions quite a lot. He's, he scored pretty freely. He's looked really good. He's been broadly as, as advertised, the marquee signing of Chelsea's summer. So to the possibility of not having him available for Liverpool is going to be a real concern for Pochettino. But beyond that, I think there's a lot for him to be optimistic about. There's a lot of young talent in this squad. There seems to be a real sense of togetherness and purpose. They need to trim the bodies. This this group was probably about seven or eight players too large. Um, I'm expecting a lot of loan developments next week. But first, Chelsea have to get themselves home, and so do I. So this is Liam Toomey signing off from Chicago. Uh, that Nkunku injury, a real shame, wasn't it, Luke? Because he's been so pivotal to what we've seen in pre-season. You can understand why Chelsea would be pretty cheesed off with the fact that he picked that up on the pitch that he did, which was not good. Yeah, it's it's a definite blow ahead of the Liverpool game and it, it does look like he will face uh, a bit of a battle to be fit for that. And it, it definitely restricts Pochettino's options heading into that Liverpool game because Nkunku is the type of player... You know, we've seen him play as a nine. We've seen him play as a 10. He can play wide as well. But with him not in the team, it does mean that, well, you'd think that Nicholas Jackson is almost certain to start, um, which allows, you know, some Liverpool to plan a little bit better for for what he offers. And, you know, Chelsea have targeted Nkunku for a reason. He's, you know, got the potential to be a world-class player. And he showed a little bit of that during pre-season and a lot of that at RB Leipzig and it, it, it's a definite blow. I'm guessing, Simon, that there hasn't been any kickback from the club about the, the state of the pitch in Chicago. I suppose there's not really much you can do in retrospect other than not booking Ed Sheeran to play at Stamford Bridge any time in the near future. <laughs> well, I must admit, watching it live, I thought that's another thing to hold against Ed Sheeran, to be honest. But but <laughs> it, in fairness, I'm not sure the actual injury was caused by the pitch. Um it's Hummels, I think, that came in with a with a with a tackle right on his knee, um, which should have been a penalty actually, and bizarrely wasn't given. So that seemed to be how it was caused, unless you can make the argument that his foot got stuck in the pitch at the same time or whatever. But it seemed to me like a contact injury. There's still no update, which alarms me. I feel like the longer news takes to get out about a player that's going through a scan, etc. Um, the more concerned I feel like the situation may be. I checked on it yesterday. There was still no update. 
maybe by the time we come out, there will have been an update. But um, I, I would say I'd, I'd be very surprised at the very least if he, if he features against Liverpool. But I think it could be out for, for a few weeks at least. All right. Well, we'll hopefully have more of an update on that in our Thursday pod. Next today, it's question time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can follow the pod on the platform formerly known as Twitter now. We are at SO Cobham Pod and we put the call out there for some listener questions. Let's have a chew on some of those now, shall we? Uh, we'll kick off with this one from Alistair who says, What are the realistic internal club targets for the upcoming season? Given the absolute disaster that was 22-23 and the clear outs of virtually all the experienced players from the squad, would top four even seem reasonable? What do you think, Simon? I think they're realistic. They know that in the grand scheme of things, a title challenge is, is unlikely. It's something they'd hope for, but it's unlikely. But I still think a bit like the expectations of, of a year ago, um, they would hope to be, yes, challenging for, hey, top five. We, we may have to start changing the uh, the terminology, given there's an extra spot available, uh, as long as our um, England's coefficient remains good. So I, I think being around a top five kind of place would be what the owners would would hope for, plus a, a run in one of the domestic cups. Um, it feels weird not to mention Europe, <laughs> it doesn't it? So so used to sort of thing, yeah, and, and and at least a quarter final place in the Champions League that, that will have to wait for at least another year. But um, but yeah, I think that that certainly from their regard, will be sort of what they'll be hoping for. Whether outside we think that's possible, I, I'm not sure yet. I, I think um, obviously pre-season we've seen a lot of positive things, but it is only pre-season. I still think that the, the final weeks of the transfer window will have a lot to say of what Chelsea can do. But I'm I'm at least more optimistic. Sort of all, almost feel like she's getting an alert bell there. Lucy, my first use of optimism of the, of the season, that we'll see some entertaining football because last season was not only bad results-wise, it was turgid, it was painful to watch. But the early days of Pochettino, the, the, the signs are promising that, that we'll get some entertainment back at Stamford Bridge. Um, Luke, is there any danger in Chelsea putting too much stock in the whole not playing in European football thing? I, I only ask that because it's it's dead easy, isn't it, to look back to, to 2017 and say, oh, right, well, we're going to win the league this season then. It's not going to be that straightforward. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there'll be a lot of challenges, especially with the squad this time around. You know, there's been so many changes this summer, so many other players in new. It's going to take a lot, well, in theory, it should take a lot more time for players to gel with each other and with Mauricio Pochettino. But it seems like preseason's been been really good, and you know you can kind of look at the example of Newcastle from last season. 
no European football for them under Eddie Howe, and they were just able to put together an absolute run, especially in the first half of the season where they just didn't look like conceding a goal. They were very positive, were able to play the same team basically week in, week out. Um, and, and that obviously, you know, has led to a great season for them. So, you know, Chelsea would definitely be looking to replicate something like that. Tushar wants to know, I'll put this one to you, Luke. Where is Ian Martson likely to be deployed in the current system? Uh, obviously, we didn't see him in his preferred position of left back throughout pre-season. Do you see him as a as an impact sub or, or can he be a bit more involved than that? I think one of the reasons why he might be kept around the Chelsea squad is probably because of his versatility. Uh, so it wouldn't shock me to see him brought on at left back or left wing or right wing. Um, you know, he's played attacking midfield as well during preseason. I think that will be a real boost for Pochettino and for him. And I think it hasn't come up much during preseason. I think, you know, maybe once or twice. But personally, I'd love to see him as a left wing back in a three back system. Ironically, uh, you know, would have been perfect for Chelsea last season or under Thomas Tuchel. But I still think he's, and he spent a lot of time last season at Burnley playing a very attacking role in a 43 1 under company. So he clearly can do that role as a left back. But, you know, Premier League versus Championship is a bit of a step up. And I think he'll be, he'll be eased in, I'd imagine. Yeah, you'd think so. Uh, here's Paul Simon saying, I can't understand why we're happy to keep buying these young players and sending them out on loan, but won't go the extra mile to buy Caicedo, a player we clearly need. Is there maybe a bit of ego coming in on Chelsea's part here in that they don't just want to do what Brighton want them to do all the time over every transfer? Yeah, I think there was, it's kind of touching on what I said earlier, but I, I do think there's, there's a little bit of nervousness, which sounds ridiculous, uh, given they're just signed Sanchez as well but I think there was a little bit of nervousness about here's more money to Brighton and how that looks but that was something I was told a long time ago and yet here they are still flirting with him so as I said before and I agree with kind of the the premise of the question is kind of what I was saying as well is it's already well signing these young players with potential but it's about signing also for the here and now and it does feel like Chelsea should have got this deal done by now. It's clear that he wants to come. Brighton are, are playing hardball, as is their right. Although I have been slightly amused by the kind of rhetoric coming from them. Like, well, you know, he's this top, top player. You've got to pay him what he's worth. And this is the club that offered £30 million for Levi Colwell, the England centre-back for the next decade, potentially. So um, classic case of double standards. <laughs> but of course, Levi Colwell is, uh, is going nowhere, which which I think is, has been part of the delay in fairness. Um, Brighton have, have obviously been pitching very hard to, to try and get Colwell as part of the deal. And Chelsea, as, as they have done from day one, have, have made it very clear he's going nowhere. And, and of course, they've since given him a, a long-term contract. So even if Casado doesn't come, I've got a feeling he still will, but I still think that that's the best. I'd rather Chelsea have kept Cole Will and miss out on Casado than, than farm out or lose one of their best academy prospects in a bid to get this guy over the line. Here's one that's been a hot topic uh, throughout the summer for Chelsea supporters. James says, thoughts on who could be the new Chelsea captain? Reese James seems the obvious choice, but he is too young. I mean, I I disagree. I think I think age doesn't necessarily have to come into being a captain. I think he's 
made his feelings very clear on social media throughout the summer, Reese James, about Chelsea and players leaving and wanting to stick around and, and make his mark. And I think there are countless examples, I think, of of young captains that have done well in the Premier League era. You think of, you know, Fabregas at Arsenal, Vieira at Arsenal as well. And then last season, you had someone like Martin Odegaard at Arsenal, a lot of Arsenal, um, and Declan Rice now at Arsenal. But I think I think James is is the perfect choice. I think he's a, clearly Chelsea through and through. I think Thiago Silva maybe has worn the armband before, but you know if you're looking to set something up for the long term, you know Silva is a great player and one of the best centre backs I've ever seen. But he's not part of the long term future, and I think there's no better way to start the Pochettino era off, give the fans kind of what they want, but also make a great decision. Um, and at hand, Reese James Yarban. The only thing I'd add is I wrote about or, or discussed this issue in a piece a few weeks ago. That it's not age that Reese is that is the barrier; it's his fitness. There's basically no ideal candidate for various reasons. Like Silver is a brilliant leader on the pitch, but he, his level of English uh, means he's not he, he can't do other elements of the job. For example, media. Reese James is not exactly renowned for being comfortable in front of a microphone, although has started to do a bit more. He, he did do a pre-match press conference out in out in the US. Then you've got other other sort of people. You've got Ben Chilwell, who's very very confident in front of a microphone, but is he at left back? He, he he's had his own sort of fitness issues over the last few years, and would you sort of give him that gravitas? Although he's now one of the most experienced members of the squad, of course. Um, then you're getting some real sort of fringe, sort of more outlandish suggestions like Kepper himself. But as we've already discussed, you know, his place in goal is not exactly assured. And Raheem Sterling, you, you would normally sort of think, oh, given everything, all the experience he has, and he's very influential uh, with the young players. You can, you can see he bonds very well with them, but his form... Um, since joining Chelsea's not been the best. So it's, it's not a straightforward decision, but you do sort of feel like there was a bit of a strong hint with with Rhys James being named um, captain for the last friendly. Although the two, him and Silva, lifted the trophy together, didn't they? So there could be a case of Silva doing it for one year with Rhys as vice-captain. Yeah, it's maybe we make too much of the captain thing. That's, that's, that's always a, a debate from people from other countries that, that in England we're obsessed with it when does it really matter that much? Yeah, I was just going to say similar. So I think it's it's not like cricket or other sports, is it, where the captaincy holds, you know, a lot of sway. And I think either which way, you know, if Pochettino does decide to give it to someone like Silver or Kepper for a year, Reese James will undoubtedly continue to, well, he will play a leadership role to some of the younger, more inexperienced players in the dressing room anyway. So, you know, his presence will still be felt. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a nice easy one for you to finish with, Luke. Jordan wants to know, what will be the legacy of the Bowley-Clear Lake era? Will it be a new stadium and many successful seasons with plenty of trophies? Or are we set to be the banter club for the foreseeable? <laughs> um, I mean, it will certainly have a legacy, it seems, of, uh, of farming young players from South America. That's that's one thing we've seen a lot of in um in the last sort of 12 to 18 months. I think it's obviously it's so early to kind of say how long they will stick around and be a part of Chelsea, but 
And you know, the new stadium is something. There was news the uh, the other week about buying land close to Stamford Bridge for a, a potential redevelopment project. So, I and you know, I imagine many others would like to see that be you know one of the defining features of this era of Chelsea. And you know, when they when they first came in, I think a lot of people thought, "Wow, this this Chelsea are going to be a bit more frugal than under Abramovich. They're going to be a little bit more cautious." And that certainly has not been. Something that we've seen, but maybe in a few, you know, as as they they kind of get more used to Premier League and and football, uh, the investment and the spending will calm down when some of these players become of age and they're all fighting for first team spots. Uh, Simon, you don't get mulligans in football, but there is some mitigation, isn't there, for the ownership for for the way the takeover happened last year, the fact that they were thrown into it pretty much cold. You'd expect it to be a little less chaotic this time around. Yeah, I mean, that it's a totally different football club. I, I mean, this is unprecedented, I think. I, I can't remember a club of this stature going through this amount of change in such a short amount of time. And it's not just on the pitch, of course. It's, it's all the personnel off it as well. Undoubtedly, mistakes have been made. I think they'll, they'll be honest enough to admit to that themselves. The, the summer transfer window of 2022 will will perhaps for different reasons go down in folklore along with other glorious ones in the past of like 2017 it's been a disaster still waiting for basically one of those signings to to um, prove value for money and that was a lot of money spent but you can see that the overall plan what what they're trying to do bringing in a younger hungrier group of players together that is now coming to the fore you'd sort of say the January window was was much more sort of considered thinking and again don't want to get carried away it's only been pre-season but you've seen some of the positives from from this thinking and crucially I think they've got the right manager that has been uh Famous last words, two months' time. Oh, where did it all go wrong? <laughs> no pod. But it does feel like they've got the right man. Bless him, Graham Potter tried. It didn't work. Pochettino already, you can feel, has got the respect of the dressing room. But more importantly, there's a group of players here that want to play for Chelsea and for him. And I think we've seen with a number of the exits so far that that was also part of the problem last season. That there were quite a lot of players that that no longer wanted to play for the club. They've now moved on, and it's no coincidence that the team spirit is now on the rise. All right, that's going to just about do it for us today, uh, Simon. You're only just back off holiday, but but what have you got for Athletic subscribers to look forward to? Uh, there's a piece going out on Tuesday about Tino Andrin talking about. Uh, young players and, and so on. And and he's almost become a forgotten man when you think of the level of ability um, that he has. Very sort of similar career path so far to Ruben Loftus-Cheek, it has to be said. But just a, you know, not, not, not a massive read, but just a little sort of piece about what the plan is, what, what's he up to. Uh, but obviously during the week, we'll be building up to the first First game of the season and inevitably I think this week is going to be a lot about transfer activity. And Luke, thank you so much for for joining us today. We'll be speaking to you more throughout the season, I hope. Yeah, it's uh, been an absolute pleasure and yeah, I hope I can uh, 
uh, attack the season uh, the same way that uh, my preseason has started. <laughs> Full of gusto. Full of mallow gusto. Yeah, very good. <laughs> All right, we'll be back on Thursday to look ahead to the Liverpool game. Until then, if we could ask you to follow us on Twitter, subscribe to the pod, leave us a nice review, all that good stuff. If you think we're worth it, that would be really helpful. It helps other Chelsea supporters find us and helps us grow the pod as well. Back Thursday to look ahead to Liverpool then. Until then, from Luke, from Simon, from Lucy and from me, it's bye for now. 